Welcome to another edition of Security Clearance Podcast. Today, Senior Editor Lindy Kaiser is joined by William Henderson. William is a retired federal clearance investigator, president of Federal Clearance Assistance Service, and a regular contributor to clearancejobs.com. Today, he's discussing the security clearance policy changes of 2016. In January, the White House established the National Background Investigations Bureau. Can you explain, as you understand it, the role of NBIB, why it was created, and perhaps, you know, how it is different than the Federal Investigative Services Division? You know, actually, they haven't revealed any differences yet between themselves and uh, the Federal Investigative Services. The reason for establishing it was a reaction to the 90-day review that was done in uh, 2015 following the, the shooting at the Washington uh, Navy Yard and, of course, the, the Snowden affair, but primarily because of the uh, data breach at OPM. Uh, I, I guess the, you know, the executive branch felt that something needed to be done, uh, and they had lost confidence in OPM's ability to secure the um, SF-86 data that was compromised. So that was, I think, the primary reason for creating a new agency. And of course, the new agency has uh, different reporting requirements than it, than it had previously. Now, it's, I believe it uh, appears to be under the operational control of the Office of Management and Budget uh, and the um, Performance Accountability Council. And then just administrative control under um, the Office of Personnel Management. And I, and I think that the reason that they left that there is because of um, there aren't, I don't believe that there are any agencies in the federal government that are capable of, of handling the uh, billing system that uh, OPM has created for, this, for their fee-for-service uh, operation. Can you speak a little bit to moving the technology piece? I mean, I know that was big after the OPM breach saying, you know, OPM was not doing a great job of managing the technology behind, you know, the the data records keeping of the background investigations. Does moving that under DISA and DOD control seem like the smart thing to do? Can you speak to that at all? Well, you know, I I think, you know, obviously, you know, DOD is the 800-pound gorilla, and they're quite capable of doing anything. Certainly, they have more resources than, than OPM has to tackle that type of problem. You know, moving it over to DMDC for control and, and having this DISS system created, you know, seems like it's it's a pretty good idea. Unfortunately, you know, OPM did not use the resources or whatever resources they may have had to properly secure the data. And, and I, again, I think it's more of a case of loss of confidence rather than an agency's you know, Ill- inability to do something. Certainly, if you throw enough money at a problem, you, you can always fix it. The other half of the, the computerization or the IT problem is the investigative IT systems that are being used. They're still relying on, a, you know, a like a 30-year-old computer system for reporting investigative information. It's the old PIPs. And right now they're anticipating that they're going to have to continue using that for about another two years. That's also something that needs to be modernized. Yeah. So on that topic of modernization, that's something we talk about, you know, a lot. There's a a give and take, it seems like, in the process right now with demand for more cyber vetting, for, you know, continuous monitoring, for improved technology. Yet we have this continued backlog. Um, we have background investigations largely at a standstill. It just seems like 
a tough time to try to modernize when you're not even at square one yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a major problem. You know, this goes back decades, you know, back in the late 1990s and early 2000, depending on who you talk to, there was anywhere from a 400,000 to a 700,000 case backlog. Because of that, they, you know, they transferred everything over to OPM from DOD. And basically, they threw a lot of money at the problem by uh, hiring a lot of contract investigators to get caught up on on the backlog. And they, you know, um, the Defense Security Service back then had about, I don't know, 1,250 field investigators. And by the time OPM was really completely up and running by like 2008 or so, there was pretty close to 8,000 investigative personnel doing the same work. Now, they've slid back a little bit, but they're talking again under this new NBIB of getting back up to about 8,000 investigative staff to, you know, to take care of the backlog. They, they seem to have a lot of conflicting priorities, but none of the problems seem to be actually handled as, as a priority. They're very interested in this insider threat uh, problem, and that's directly linked to continuous evaluation and periodic reinvestigations. But at the same time, uh, they just recently announced that they're going to back off on the interval for top-secret periodic reinvestigations, at least for industry, from five years to six-year intervals, which doesn't seem to, to really uh, support their insider threat program. And for insider threat, you know, they should be doing, uh, they should be looking at people that already have security clearances more frequently than they have in the past. Continuous evaluation program that they're putting in place, my understanding is that this year they're only going to look at 5% of the people who hold top secret clearances and TSSCI clearances. So it, it's not a, you know, a big effort to improve uh, insider, the insider threat um, problem. And at the same time, they want to add uh, cyber vetting. They want to change the reinvestigation interval for secret and confidential clearances down to five years. Supposedly, they're they're going to implement that within the next year or so. It's there's a very big question about where all this money is going to come from to to support these initiatives. If you think back, you know this reform effort started back in 2007 when they created the Joint Suitability Security uh, Reform Team. From then until about 2012, the JSSRT had created uh, a lot of goals and objectives on how to modernize and streamline the security clearance process. But a lot of those, a lot of those goals just sort of disappeared. They they never put into effect. Even the the revised federal investigative standards, which were approved in December of 2012, are not fully implemented yet. So it's been a full you know, four years since um, the new standards were put in place. And, and I'm at a loss as to why the government, you know, takes so long to do these things. And also the, um, when was that? I think in 2014, they elevated this problem to become a, a cross-agency priority goal. But nevertheless, there doesn't seem to be much of an effort to um, to expedite these these processes and, and actually attain these goals in a, in a timely manner. Everything just seems to drag on and on and on without being finalized. Uh, there's been, well, for another instance, since 2011, they've been studying the new adjudicative guidelines and how they're to be changed. Uh, and they were, you know, they've been delayed a couple of times and they were supposed to be completed this past December. But uh, again, that, that hasn't been done. A new SF-86 has been in the works since uh, 2013. I marvel at how long it takes 
to change a form. Three plus years to change a form. Do you have any insights into that? Is that just the, you know, the interagency approvals maybe of trying to get that done? Is there one agency that's holding all the keys and just sitting on making that happen? I mean, I see year after year, we're talking about the security clearance denials and approvals and looking at those. And we've kind of talked about how several of the entire adjudicative criteria have almost become out of date. So you would think if they really simplified that process, both for applicants and investigators, you would have an easier application process, not easier in the sense of easier to get a clearance. But yeah, why is it why is it so hard to get that done? Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing that uh, things are taking as long as they, they have. Um, you can even look back to the DO, the basic uh, DOD personnel security regulation, which uh, pretty much has not been updated since the early 90s for whatever reason. Uh, nothing seems to happen in a timely manner when there are several agencies involved. Um, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence tends to be a coordinating agency rather than uh, an agency with authority to uh, establish policy. Um, the Department of Defense has an awful lot of influence on uh, how uh, the implementation of policies, and so there has to be agreement between a number of federal agencies before anything can be implemented, and, and that may be the, the, the basic problem. But uh, nothing seems to happen very fast, even though reform of the security clearance process has been made a cross-agency priority goal. There doesn't seem to be getting very much priority attention. Is that perhaps an area where the NBIB could could get more done, just in the sense that one of the benefits of MBIB that I have heard is that they have their own director that reports to the executive branch, and that person could actually could maybe push things forward. Is that is something like reforming the SF-86 something that you think NBIB could take on, or is that always going to pretty much fall under ODNI and with heavy influence of DOD? Well, the SF-86 actually belongs to OPM, and they're the ones who have to um, work its way through the OMB process for approval. You know, the, the actual structure of the SF-86 is, is influenced by, you know, people uh, working at uh, ODNI and, and at DOD, and uh, the formulation of the questions in that form are, again, influenced by the ODNI and, and DOD. And as you know, the recently ODNI implemented a change to the SF-86 question 21 with regard to mental health counseling and treatment. So they influence what goes in the SF-86, but OPM is responsible for guiding it through the uh, OMB approval process. Um, I don't think, you know, I'm an outsider, so, you know, I, I don't know what causes these things to be delayed for as long as they do. I'm sure that requires a lot of interagency coordination, and when that's required, then things, you know, just naturally slow down. Well, to get to practical matters a little bit, so we know that the processing times are an issue. You know, we see that the arc of the reports that you have in your, your policy review. Are there steps that, you know, industry could be taking or even, you know, you work with security clearance applicants on a daily basis um, to help them, you know, through the security clearance process with your company. So are there any steps for both industry or applicants to improve their chances of getting a, a slightly quicker processing time when they're applying? Well, you know, the, it, it starts at the, at the submission of the SF-86. So 
Yes, if the applicants are, are given good guidance on, on how to fill out the form, it can speed their clearance processing, um, making sure that all the information that's required gets into the form and is explained properly. The SF-86, it's an investigative tool. It's, it's used as a roadmap for the investigator to complete the investigation. So the more detailed the roadmap, the faster the investigator can uh, work his way through the investigation and, and get it done. So Certainly, you know, if the SF-86s are are done properly, it tends to speed things along. There's really not, the the industry really can't influence the speed at which these investigations occur. Um, I had a case recently, about three months ago, I, I represented an individual at hearing. He submitted his SF-86 in January of 2011. He had his hearing in October of 2016, and we're still waiting for an official decision on that case. So we're looking at six plus years, and he did everything when required. And and, I mean, there was no delay on his part in submitting his SF-86 and attending his interviews and submitting responses to written interrogatories and responding to his SOR. He did everything on a timely basis, but nevertheless, it's, it's taken six years. And there's still no final decision on his case. So, you know, he was one of those unfortunates that got caught up during the relocation of the DOD central adjudication facilities to Fort Meade, and then the later um, consolidation of those adjudication facilities. And, you know, some cases got orphaned, I think, during that process. Again, it's he did everything as he should have done it, but nevertheless, the case drug on for six years. And it's a very unusual case, but nevertheless, it's it just shows that these things are beyond the control of the applicant. That's amazing to me that he is still interested in the job. I mean, because we actually come up, you know, that it's a huge issue we have now on clearance jobs because trying to attract candidates to national security careers when they have strong competition in the private sector, especially for, you know, IT fields and industries. And a lot of folks, you know, who are sitting on at six months, you know, that we see a lot of folks, they're cut off as a year. You know, they'll wait a year. But after that, they're just like, no, thank you. Can you speak to that at all? I mean, how that kind of affects? Well, in this particular case, that my client has a very uh, unique skill set uh, with a doctorate in a specialized area. He works for a company who, uh, which is willing to keep him as an employee, whether he gets a clearance or not. He's, he's a very valued employee. So there was no problem for him personally to, you know, go through this rather long, drawn-out process. Of course, he would prefer to have gotten the clearance much earlier. But you're right. Most people are hired or at least extended an offer for for a specific position that requires a clearance, and employers are just not in a position to keep those job offers open for for an extended period of time. So now they move on to the next applicant. The vast majority of people who fail to get an interim clearance um, ultimately don't get the job. Uh, and right now, the interim clearance is, is taking a month to two months. And those that, that don't get the interim clearance uh, pretty much are just rejected as a candidate for the position. Very few companies are able to leave a job open for an individual uh, for more than a you know a couple of months. Uh, the exception to that are, are, are companies that have repeated requirements for people with the same skill sets, in which case they can uh, extend an offer conditional offer of employment to somebody and maintain sponsorship, knowing that when the clearance finally does come through, they will still have a job opening for 
the person with the same skill set. Pushing back TS reinvestigations to every six years, you mentioned earlier a little bit and kind of the back and forth of what they're doing to try to try to push through the backlog, but yet at the same time that conflicts are as cyber vetting and continuous evaluation. So can you speak to, I mean, I think they're looking at doing that for a year tops. Do you think that will give them the time they need to work through some of the interim clearances or move the interims faster? Are we going to always see interims moving at a slow snail's pace because of the insider threat, fingerprints and requirements there? Interim clearances, at least the industrial interim clearances, are um, restricted only by budget. So as soon as um, there's a permanent budget or a regular appropriation for uh, DSS to request investigations from OPM, then the turnaround time for interim clearances will go down to about a week. Right now, the backlog is okay. purely a function of not having enough money to submit cases to OPM because they have to obligate the money at the beginning when they submit the case, and they just don't have the funds to be able to do that. So once they get a full appropriation, and if it's enough, then they'll be able to clear out that backlog in a, you know, in a couple of months, and interim clearances will start flowing at, um, at a faster rate, probably in the neighborhood of seven to 10 days. The investigative backlog at NBIB you know, it right now is merely a function of uh, how many investigators they can get out on the street. Because they hired two new contract investigation service providers last August or September, and I believe the contract started in December, then they have to, you know, get their individuals trained and, and out on the street. So you're looking at maybe another month or so before they're out actually up to speed. Once those people start to become productive, then you're going to see a reduction in the uh, backlog at NBIB. I believe Mr. Phelan said that at least last October, uh, they had three and a half times their optimum uh, field investigative work. Um, so it's going to take quite a while to work that down. I, I would suspect probably a year or so, maybe, maybe more than a year to get down to uh, a reasonable turnaround on their investigations. Interims and the, the finals are going to speed up uh, based on two different things. One, the funding for DIS, and then secondly, the ability of NBIB to put more investigators out in the field to, to complete the work. Implementing the other changes, okay. um, you know, the, like the five-year periodic reinvestigation for, for secret clearances are going to slow things down again, and, and even the uh, cyber vetting is probably going to slow things down. They're, they're trying to, you know, do a number of different things at the same time. They work against each other in terms of getting the cases out in a timely manner. So what would be your number one priority, Mr. Henderson? Obviously, the fund, well, for industrial cases, the funding to DSS, you know, so that they can get the uh, interim clearances done faster. There's not really much that, that can be done to speed things up at NBIB, that uh, hiring new investigators and training them and fielding them is just, you know, it's a slow process and it's just not going to happen overnight. Well, always exciting. That's for sure. But I appreciate your time so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Security Clearance Podcast. For more information, visit www.clearancejobs.com.